This episode is brought to you by Atomic Books. Atomic is an independent bookstore full of objects made of paper, vinyl, plastic, and various other actual materials at the edge of time. Specializing in literary comics, small press, art books, and great regional beer at 8 Bar in the back of the store. Come to 3620 Falls Road in Hamden or go to AtomicBooks.com. Atomic Books, literary finds for mutated minds. We could use your help. After almost 50 episodes of the show, we're looking for some financial assistance to help us continue making it. And we're offering some monthly rewards if you do so by joining our new Patreon. At level one, you get access to special episodes. Level two gets you that, plus access to our monthly, specially curated playlists of forward-thinking music. And the level three reward is all of the above, plus a bespoke playlist made just for you, based on whatever criteria you'd like. Join us by going to EssentialPodcast.com or by clicking on our Patreon link in our social media account bios. Thanks. There's a moment, there's a very long intro that's very beautiful and it lasts about, I don't know, close to a minute. And then it, this beat, this drum beat and the tremolo guitars that we talked about, the whole song kind of kicks in and the way that it, just open it's like opening a door <laughs> or something into like a whole different like universe this is essential tremors i'm lee gardner i'm matt byers the idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are we're not looking for favorite songs necessarily we're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives, or their lives in general. Steve Gunn straddles two different worlds, that of experimental, improvised music, and also more straightforward American primitive guitar stylings in the realm of John Fahey. Formerly a guitarist in Kurt Vile's backing band, The Violators, Gunn's newest release on Matador Records, Other You, ventures into sweeter, vocal melody-driven territory, simultaneously both gentle and intricate. The first song Gunn chose as being formative for him was Calvary Cross by Richard Thompson. Uh-huh. 
Richard and Linda Thompson, Calvary Cross. That's so funny. Did someone else just do that? (laughs) Well, Richard Thompson himself was just on the show. Oh, gosh. He did not pick a Calvary Cross. (laughs) um, Yeah, so many people did. Somebody else did, or did I see you do this in an interview somewhere else? Someone else just did this. Oh, really? Uh, It was not on our show, but it was on some other thing where somebody included Calvary Cross. I think, I don't know, it's slipping my mind, but I'm with you, and I have been in a band that covered that song I, I know it well yeah so anyway why why calvary cross talk to talk talk about that well um for me for this new album i was listening to a lot of songs obviously and trading music with one of the producers who was my good friend and we've been listening to records forever and we were picking songs that we love we made a playlist and this song has always been one of my favorites richard thompson is one of my favorite guitar players and singers, and I've been a fan of his for a long time. Uh, This song particularly sticks out to me because, because of it's, it's very simple and it's very, it's extremely effective in its simplicity. And it has this weight to it that not a lot of songs have. And for me, I was listening to a lot of repetitive overly simple sorts of groove oriented oriented songs and for me it it really helps you focus on the words and the words particularly in this song really paint a picture and it's it's very dramatic and it just has this really kind of strong heaviness to it and musically speaking it's almost it almost to me it's sort of experimental because of the fact it has a, a 50 second intro <laughs> you know which is sort of unheard of for a song that's so widely and highly regarded um, and the way that it starts there's this play with tremolo it almost sounds like he has two amps that are going at different speeds so it kind of creates this stereo effect which something I was I was super interested in for a long time when I was, I was a big fan of Johnny Marr and there's a song of his, a composition of his called How Soon Is Now where he utilates this. And I, I also later realized that <laughs> perhaps Richard Thompson invented this trick. But to me, the way that the song kicks in with, with this powerful tremolo and this really amazing driving drum beat it's just like it really hits you and it hit, hit me really hard and it, it has for a really long time it's one of my favorite songs and it's it's also complex in its simplicity as well the way that Richard is playing it it's just he has his own voice and his own style and it's 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 so much him and for me when you hear a musician and, and you know right away who it is, that's such an important facet of music to me is being, at, to being able to identify the person and the personality. 
And I think this song really encapsulates that. And it was something that I listened to over and over, just sort of trying to get, you know, just ideas and inspiration. It's super inspirational song to me. And I always go back to it. There's something about just for me, at least the, the slight, um, just the slight sort of slap back reverb on the vocal too. Mm-hmm. Cause that whole album is so dryly produced. Yeah. Um, I mean everything about it and there's something about that is just the right touch that makes it, it almost seems too like on certain lines where he's not even fully cognizant of the fact that he's singing into a microphone. Yeah. And it's true. Like the way it touches on so many things, like the background vocals that Linda does, this sort of long extended, Mm -hmm. she's almost matching. There's a drone happening throughout the song and it's they're they're riding it in different ways and they're riding it with the drums and with the sort of like, there's a, it almost sounds like maybe there's an organ and then Linda's kind of like summoning up this really droney background vocal. And the fact that it is really driving, it's, it's, yeah, it's, there's so many, they touch on so many different aspects of songwriting to me that creates this sort of powerful scene. And the fact that he can set words over top of that, you know, is super effective. Really great. There's, Apparently a uh, documentary or at least it was made. I don't know if it was released about that studio. It's completely escaping me now. Mm-hmm. It was in Chelsea or Camden. I forget which mm-hmm. in, in uh, London, um, but they look fascinating. And it was, uh, this is all escaping me now. I'm going to completely cut this from the show. Um, who was the producer on that record? Well, Do you remember? Is it Joe Boyd? Yeah. Well, I think it was Joe mm-hmm. Boyd actually. Yeah. And I should have remembered that. That would have been easy enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Joe Boyd, of course, and he, uh, yeah, it was just pretty fascinating um, seeing a few clips. Um, he had Linda Thompson at the board with him, and they were playing back the master tapes from that mm-hmm. and talking about the session. So we right up your alley, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I just recently read Richard's book, B-Swing. Yeah, just um, did too, yep. And I think also that's why I, I always sort of come back to this song. I've been listening to it for a long time, but when I was working on this record and sort of in between mixing and stuff, I I read Richard's book and I started thinking about just his life and trajectory and the fact that he went through so much at such a young age and then made this record with Linda and made so much music and he he already lived so much. These these songs feel so lived in. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure how old he was, perhaps in his early 30s or something like that. Um, but he just reading about his whole sort of musical life made me revisit not just this song, but a lot of his songs in general. That's such a good way to put it for that record. And for listeners who don't know it, it's I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight, which is a complete masterpiece. Yeah. And it's from start to finish. And you're so right about how lived in it feels. Like they all feel so completed and worked through and as a player you know that feeling i'm sure from when you have really sort of mastered the material but it's still fresh enough yeah that there's something to it emotionally and that's exactly where that band is at that time there's a confidence in that song Mm -hmm. um and there's it's almost you can feel that richard has nothing nothing to prove (laughs) he has something to say he's like speaking of 
some sort of hardship with some kind of muse that's that he's trying to ride out and he's this is how i'm interpreting it of course um and all of the sort of like alliterations that he's making but i think that um yeah it's just a very strong almost effortless kind of song you know in a way yeah i can totally hear that and of course, what's interesting about it, too, is the simplicity of it, as you described. And that's a great comparison with the Johnny Marhausen is now thing, the, uh, you know, incredible double tremolo or whatever is happening. But um, <laughs> yeah. um, the simplicity of the of the chord structure, I think it's five chords, maybe total. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But of course, this soloing on top of it is virtuosic. And I, uh, I'm not somebody who totally always values that. And I'm sure you probably aren't either. But it's the fact that he he can do so much more yet he doesn't right yeah there's with just the progression mm-hmm. yeah which which makes it to me it's more effective it just keeps going and going and going and it keeps riding it's like this super driving rhythm and he, and it's just he's he's just riding that out until there's this huge break and it, towards you know however many minutes it is um, and yeah that lead his lead playing is just it's just un, unreal you know Yes, and then it always sounds like I somehow picture spaghetti strands when he's playing because his, <laughs> his it seems like he's so slack in his in in his you know intonation. I don't know how he does it, and honestly. it's you know it's so transcendent. It still sounds new. You know the the tones mm-hmm. that he was achieving. The fact that he kind of came up as a, an acoustic player and then really sort of settled in with the electric and kind of late a little bit later in his career and found this particular tone and sound that, you know, I think he kind of changed the way a lot of people thought about electric guitar um, because he was, he came to it in a different, in a, a kind of a different way than, than most people. You know. mm-hmm. So if we do think of that song as you have the, the bass, you have the, the basic chord progression with the, understated sort of tremolo sustained basically open chords Mm -hmm. and you think of the other part of that that we were just talking about which is in the coda this very plucky and again virtuosic uh solo that solo or solos really um that builds if you think of those as two different things Mm -hmm. what do you think is a player that's if either of them which of those stuck with you most which got into your blood as something that got replicated unconsciously or otherwise in, in your own playing? Well, I I have to say that more recently, I mean, I've listened to this song so many times and I've gone over his lead playing a lot over the years, um, particularly for this most recent record that I made. I was, my friend and I, my friend Justin and I were, we're thinking about songs, you know, and the effectiveness of parts and the effectiveness of simplicity. And there's a moment, there's a very long intro that's very beautiful and it lasts about, I don't know, close to a minute. And then it, this beat, this drum beat and the tremolo guitars that we talked about, the whole song kind of kicks in and the way that it just opens, it's like opening a door or something into like a whole different like universe 
and and then and you kind of the song sort of takes you on this journey um, and to me that that moment really was something that I kept listening to and 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 going back to and trying to trying to kind of summon some sort of inspiration to, to do to be that effective and, and not and not try something too hard and, and feel like have it have it feel natural and for me that that trend that transit the transition in that song is, is very feels very very natural to me and, and that's one of the many things that I've focused on. The second song Gun shows is essential to his formation as an artist was When You Know Why You're Happy by Mary Margaret O'Hara. song is Mary Margaret O'Hara mm-hmm. and the song is called When You Know Why You're Happy um, Not to be confused with uh, Your Home Is Where You're Happy by Charles <laughs> Manson, right? No. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Okay. The song I sort of discovered this song, um, I don't know, probably about 10 years ago. And Mary Margaret O'Hara is a singer from Toronto, I believe. And I think this is probably her only studio album. And it came out, it came out in the late 80s. Um, and I think it was recorded in the mid eighties, maybe 84, 85. And there's a song on this record called when you know why you're happy. And, um, it's a, it's a song that there was the first time I ever heard the song was I saw her, I saw this video of her performing on television. It was, I think it was for that show called night flight or something like that, where they had, live acts and she was with maybe a five six piece maybe even a seven piece band and the song had uh, similar to the richard thompson song that i brought up it has this very simple kind of rolling groove to it and the band the band is just sort of riding this sort of cyclical groove um, and it's this really lovely sort of fluid song. And she's sort of summoning the words within the groove. Um, and she's, it's almost as if she's 
in a certain way, there's definitely an element of improvisation with what she does. And watching this performance, I could, it's so palpable that they're all watching each other and feeling each other and feeling the music and feeling the song and, and having their eyes on her, but at the same time, keeping the groove. And it wasn't this overly structured thing. And I think she's just sort of summoning the inspiration and it's such a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, it's, and when I saw that, I of course got the album and listened to it quite a bit, uh, pretty incessantly for a few years. And when I was thinking about working on this new record and I was compiling a playlist with my friend, I put I put this song very, at the very top because um, I just really love the way that she sort of creates this mood and and kind of follows along with the band and they're obviously acutely listening to each other and it's it's this sort of repetitive lyric that just keeps kind of repeating and get gets more intense and it's it's just a very very beautiful song so a commonality i'm sort of sensing i'm feeling between those two is that very meditative repetitive and, and I actually am not familiar with this song, but I'm thinking back to Calvary Cross and the way you just described this. Um, I, the word may not even fit, but spiritual sort of. Um, yeah, it is very, it seems very spiritual to me and it has this really, it's very mystical as well. Um, it kind of has this trance-like quality to it. Uh, and it, it's almost as if Mary gets into this trance with the music and, she sort of sings in this very expressive way. And it's, it's, it's obviously that she, it's obvious to me that she's using her voice as an instrument with the band and vice versa. And they're all sort of communicating with each other in that respect. And for me, that's, that's such a sort of inspiring way to present a song. And it's, it's presenting way more than a story or way more than a sentiment of, lost love or hardship or confessions or whatever, you know, songs may bring this, for me, this song cultivates a feeling and a mood and, and, and kind of allows you to put yourself in the music and to think for yourself and to summon up your own thoughts and, and inspirations. And for me, that, that this song really does that. And it's, it's really beautiful. Were you raised in a religious tradition that would have uh, sort of put that speaking of this, the component of spirituality or repetition or the things you hear in sometimes um, religious music, Western and or otherwise, um, would, were you exposed to that as a kid? You think that was resonant? That, that's why it resonated? I don't think so. I think I sort of came around to spirituality and music in a different way. Um, I was raised Catholic you know, as a young, a young person, um, but I sort of have been a lot way more interested in different cultures and different sorts of, you know, versions of spirituality. And for me, I kind of discovered spirituality on my own and I discovered it really through, through jazz music, uh, through the music of John Coltrane, I think probably my first exposure to spirituality and music was through him. And then as I got older and discovered more music around the world, some of that 
sort of more devotional stuff really spoke to me, not particularly on an overtly spiritual or religious level, but just as a music that's creating a mood or, or a meditative state. And you know, I, I really enjoy listening to Indian classical music or music from Iran or the, you know other parts of the Middle East or China, all over the world. I, I just I listen to tons of different music. And I think a lot of it is, is, is probably very spiritual. Um, and it's something that I sort of gravitate to, I suppose. It, it's funny that people, I think that people hear, yes, that you're listening to spiritual music. And of course, there's so much baggage with that, or they think it's exclusively gospel or exclusively um, something that's very, uh, you know, there's a philosophy lyrically behind it, or it's quoting Bible verse or whatever, when really, I think what you're talking about, and I can completely relate to is this, this spiritualness that comes from the delivery that from the actual performance itself, right? The, the, the nuanced performance, perhaps there's elements of repetition. Um, and I, I don't think it, that it necessarily has to be spiritual per se. I think it's also a, an artistic sort of endeavor and a way and, and, and a sort of a direction of expression and, and the way that you would want to sort of present a song perhaps where you can use elements of you know expressionistic styles or visual language or trying to kind of summon up visuals with music for me that's and it could even be a non-narrative situation where you're playing with you know different words to summon up different feelings and that that doesn't necessarily have to be overtly spiritual per se i mean it Obviously, that can be influential, Influential, but for me, I'm not exactly sure if this Mary Margaret O'Hara song is, I'm, I'm assuming it's, I mean, it's quite spiritual in, in, in a universal sense, that's for sure. But specifically, I'm, I'm not exactly sure about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I guess what I'm saying is just that there's, when I think of spiritual music, and I think the way that you're describing it, it's uh, for it's you know, there's a different definition of that than might be something somebody who might define it more much more literally and i think that's kind of interesting i think that you can have a spiritual spiritual component or a spiritual experience with it without even necessarily having a religious orientation sure um so i think it's interesting you know, between again have not heard this one but what you're describing and then calvary cross calvary cross absolutely evokes that for me and that and for of course even in the title is yeah. bringing is is uh, alluding to spiritual things without Definitely. necessarily being overtly about it. So and that's I think interesting. I think it's it is interesting. I'm starting to kind of realize some things while I'm talking to you, <laughs> and there is a thread uh, kind of going with the, the, these songs that I chose, and I think that there's a correlation of of elements that that kind of run between all these songs, and particularly this song this Mary Margaret O'Hara song and the Richard Thompson song. There's a, there's a similarity where there's the song kind of develops this groove that stays with the song for the whole time. And it, for me, that is just a powerful kind of sort of environment that the words sit in, you know, and it's, it is, yeah, it's, it's very rhythmic and meditative and I would say spiritual.
The final song Gunn chose as being crucial to him was Cranes in the Sky by Solange. something that was relatively new to me and it's it's a song called Cranes in the Sky by Solange and this is a song that I always I heard it you know I think it came out probably in 2016 or 17 um and it was a song that was around and I had heard it a few times and I listened to her album uh, when it came out. And um, this song particularly, every once in a while, you know how the song will just sort of get you, I guess. And it's this one got me like, and I just started, I, I took a note of it and I, you know, I, I kept listening to it. And there's something about this song um, that just, it was almost, I wouldn't say it's, I couldn't explain it, but it's just the melody and the sentiment and the, her singing. It, and also I have to say there's a repetitive motif happening with this song as well. And it's, it kind of starts with this groove and, and she's, she's obviously sort of trying to summon up this, she's going through something painful and she's trying to transcend transcend this pain but but the song doesn't change for a while it's it 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 and it starts with this rolling groove and she keeps sort of it's almost as if she's listing things where she's and she's giving you these sorts of lit she's giving you a list of things that are activities that she's doing to deal with her pain and how to train and and how she's trying to ultimately transcend that and to me, it's it, there's a structure that I think is similar to the Richard Thompson and the Mary Margaret O'Hara song, where there's this groundwork, this really sort of firm groundwork for this song that's very very heavy, and it it also sounds beautiful. There's there's I think there's strings and there's really beautiful background vocals happening and these harmonies, and she kind of this her range goes up and down and 
there's this really melancholy feeling to it that to me is really quite beautiful. And um, there's also, I, I learned this later that there's, for me, <laughs> there's this, there's wordplay involved. And, and um, I learned a little bit later that the lyrics, you know, when she's sings cranes in the sky, I was always thinking of birds, you know, flying and feeling liberated and feeling freedom. But I later read that she was singing about like mechanical cranes on a construction site. And the fact that she was looking, looking out of a window uh, in, I think she was living in Miami where there was a lot of construction going on and there was all these things being built that were blocking her vision. And the song is sort of talking about how she's building up these defenses against what she really needs to face. And she's sort of creating this very interesting uh, juxtaposition and the language and the wordplay is to me is very effective and quite beautiful. And there's a there's another there's another uh, line that is particularly beautiful too. She says, you know, she says there's cranes in the sky, and then she says, um, there's these <laughs> these metal clouds at, at, after. After cranes in the sky, she says these metal clouds, and I was like, "Wow, metal clouds! That's that's uh, so poetic, you know. It's so mysterious and and quite beautiful. And um, it it almost it gave the song more weight. And it was a song, not only the arrangement. The arrangement to me is just super beautiful. Um, but later on, I realized that lyrically, it's it has this very it holds this weight as well. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a song that I was a big inspiration to me. And like I said, it was relatively new to me, but when I was thinking about making this record, I was kind of trying to kind of branch, branch off out of my comfort zone with, with all the records that I love. And I was listening to a lot of R&B and listening to a lot of different music um, that I wouldn't necessarily listen to in a sort of normal context, I was just exploring, and the song definitely like had a huge effect on me. I, I listened to it quite a bit. I travel 70 states. Thought moving around make me feel better. I tried to let go my lover. Thought if I was alone, then maybe I could recover to write it away. This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore. To get in touch, get more information, or buy Essential Tremors merchandise, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I don't want to feel those men.